You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. I'm Caroline Hyde at Bloomberg's World Headquarters in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up, Biden tours a new TSMC plant as chipmakers double down on American-made semiconductors. More on its impact on the tech sector, as well as the subsidy costs and the benefits. Then Bloomberg has the exclusive on the price and target launch date for Apple's electric car. And Robin Hood through retirement. Why the investing app is rolling out an IRA feature for users. We'll discuss that and user activity in the wake of the tech stock downturn with the chief brokerage officer. But first, we're looking very closely at what's happening in the Arizona desert, the VIP list that's gathered there to witness the unveiling of TSMC's plans for the future to onshore manufacturing of semiconductors. Well, that didn't help stocks at all. You look across the Philadelphia Semiconductor Index, all of those names that are present at that event involved are actually with some of the biggest percentage decliners and points drags on the stocks. But... Generally speaking, as I look across the sell side, they're pretty optimistic, optimistic Cara, about what this means for the sector and domestic manufacturing going forward. What's the cost, though? That's a key question for me, Ed. What about the subsidies? How much does this end up being an economic benefit to the US in general? We just heard from President Biden and, indeed, some key CEOs, such as Apple's leader, Tim Cook. They were at that new plant that you speak of, TSMC's plant in Arizona. And, of course, we expect the company to now be announcing a cool $40 billion in terms of US-based investment. And it plans to build, of course, the second facility. Here's some what Tim Cook told the crowd. As many of you know, we work with TSMC to manufacture the chips that help power our products all over the world. And we look forward to expanding this work in the years to come as TSMC forms new and deeper roots in America. When you stop and think about it, it's extraordinary what chip technology can achieve. And now, thanks to the hard work of so many people, these chips can be proudly stamped made in America. Look, it was a big PR event. In King, our chief cynic in, in residence, I'm pleased to say, joins us now. The lineup of Brits gets ever bigger. And in, I want your take here because one of the numbers that stood out to me was actually from a global production perspective. This is pretty small for TSMC. How big a deal is this actually for the US and for supply chains? 
I mean, it really depends on how you slice it. If you slice it in the terms you just gave, it's not really that big at all. This is a relatively modest size plant for TSMC. Of course, it's going to grow. But even if it grows to, you know, the published full potential, we're looking at way less than 10% of TSMC's overall production. And, and therefore, it's, it's, it's a start. And that's probably the best way to describe it in terms of distributing that supply chain and bringing it back to the US. A start, a start, of course, that takes years to build and then produce. But talk to us a little bit about, therefore, what you think the overall supply chain looks like in the US, how much we start to see this creep expand. Is TSMC going to be joined by others? We know that Intel and local providers are also beefing up production. But how much will we see a reduction in, well, dependence on Taiwan and China? I mean, there's a, there's a huge set of pushes and pulls going on right now and obviously what's going on in Arizona is is the latest example arguably the, the most poignant example Tim Cook who is the CEO of Apple for arguably the greatest reason is that he's really good at supply at that supply chain management he understands that process he understands how the electronics world works better than anybody else why is he there why is Lisa Su there why is Jensen Wang there they're there because they want greater diversity in their supply chain but that's not necessarily what TSMC wants. TSMC wants more efficiency. The way, the way to have plants be more efficient is to have them in the same place. So there's a lot of push and pulls here. And then, of course, you've got geopolitics laid on top of that as well. Ian, we're talking about a gathering of the great and good of global technology in a tiny patch of desert in the state of Arizona. But there's also a technology story that this what they're building there actually all told ends up being obsolete versus what Taiwan's doing, uh, TSMC's doing in Taiwan. Can you explain to us the difference between the initial 2024 uh, plant uh, doing four nanometer, 2026 doing three nanometer, and what that means in the greater scheme of things? Yeah, again, back to the geopolitics and back to the push and pull. Originally, this plant was going to be five nanometer in 2024, which is two, three generations out of date by the time it comes online. Taiwanese got pushed by Apple, by NVIDIA and all of their big customers. Come on, we want more than this. We want leaning edge. So they pushed it a little bit further forward, but it's still not going to be cutting edge because, as, as we understand it, TSMC is under pressure from their own government not to stray too far from the nest. They, you know, the, 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 the government of uh, Taiwan want that island to retain its, its status as the premier location for semiconductor production in the world. So, again, we've got the pushes and pulls going on there. Bloomberg's Ian King. Thank you very much. So let's stick with it. And we're joined by Interos CEO Jennifer Basigli. Interos uses software to help companies manage their supply chains and business relationships globally. I think it's also fair to say you have about 25 years of experience in global supply chains assessing risk in the economy. You heard there what Caroline and I were discussing with Ian. Is this a significant step forward to onshore uh, domestic production here in the United States? Well, I think it's a great first step, as Ian just mentioned. I think it solves two of the big areas where the investments are happening in supply chain. One is around manufacturing and logistics, which is where you see the establishments of plants in country, nearshoring, friendshoring. Um, the second one is labor. You're going to have a lot of jobs that come out of this, a lot of reskilling of labor, and that's been a large gap for the supply chain as well. On that point, President Biden, as we know, is there in Arizona. He's actually been speaking in the last hour or so. Let's take a listen to what he had to say. Folks, as we see here in Phoenix, 
The United States is a top destination for companies across the globe looking to make investments because we have a world-class, highly skilled, committed workforce, union labor. World-class, skilled workforce. Is this a game-changer for the United States' role in global semiconductor manufacturing from that perspective? I do think, again, we were a big manufacturing entity back in the World War I, World War II, and it left. And you see a large part of that coming back. And there was a cry from the consumers, and I think that's what you saw Tim Cook and others speaking to today. So again, all of this is a start. We're going to really have to see how it shakes out. I can tell you that the CEOs that we work with that are very focused on the transparency of the extended supply chain are not just concerned about the finished goods manufacturing, which is what's happening in Arizona right now, but also where are the raw materials coming from? And those are some of the geopolitical concerns and pinch points that Ian King was just talking about. And of course, this is geopolitics abound, whether it's China, US. We also think of Europe and the implications of Russia, Ukraine there. Of course, Interos does some great studies. You, of course, use artificial intelligence weaving within your reports. But I'm looking at your 2022 resilience report, for example. Just talk to us about how the US is faring right now with its own resiliency when it comes to global supply chains vis-a-vis the UK, Ireland, Europe, some other key countries? Well, I, I think globally over the last three years, we really figured out that we designed our supply chains to be very fragile, very brittle, brittle and very just in time. And you hear about that a lot. And so whether it be the US, UK trying to unhook from China, Taiwan, trying to unhook from other places, Ukraine, Russia, we all really need to understand what countries and what suppliers we're tied to and reliant on. And can we nearshore or reshore? Do we have alternative sources? Right Right now here in the U.S., we're feeling shocks almost once a quarter to the tune of $182 million every time. Businesses simply can't remain profitable when that keeps happening. Jennifer, what we want to always bring our audience is where's the investment opportunity? And it seems to me like there is quite a big one here, whether or not, of course, the U.S. sees it as an investment in subsidies, whether some of the internal U.S. tech companies invest in themselves in terms of R&D. But for you, what are you seeing in terms of the CEOs you talk to and investing in their own supply chains, the technology that might be able to help here? Yes, there's four big lines of investments happening right now. The first is, as we were just talking about, is really around labor. How do I retrain people so I can have that skilled workforce to support the throughput that I need to create from a supply chain? The second is really around manufacturing those finished goods like you're seeing with the semiconductors right now or logistics lines. The third is really where Enteros fits. And this is really understanding the transparency and mapping and monitoring that global supply chain so when the hits happen, when the interruption occurs, how do I preempt that so I can continue to operate? And the fourth and the one that we are seeing our customers really pull us into and CEOs every time I have a conversation are asking, how do I get closer to my suppliers to collaborate so that we can actually make our supply chain more resilient together? Jennifer, it's been great having some time with you. Thank you. Thank Interos you. our CEO, Jennifer Bisegni there. Bloomberg has learned Apple plans to release a $100,000 car just a little later than expected. The iPhone maker has scaled back ambitious plans for its electric vehicle, but postponed the car's target launch date to 2026, that according to sources. Bloomberg's Mark Gurman broke that story and joins us now. Mark, what are the key details of what you've reported? 
So the biggest new detail we have is that Apple has scaled back from a level five to a level four car. Now what does that mean? The original approach that Apple had been working on for the past couple of years was a fully autonomous car with no steering wheel, no pedals, essentially downgrading or maybe upgrading the driver to a passenger, someone who could basically chillax in the car while it's driving, right? But they've downgraded that to level four. Now what does that mean? That means you're going to get full autonomous, full self-driving functionality, but only in certain areas that being at least to start freeways and highways. So the idea of this Apple car operating on city streets, complex roads, or in inclement weather like snow or rain, that's not going to happen at least in the near term after the launch, but maybe eventually as they expand it. The other detail, of course, is the delay you mentioned. They had been most, previous, most recently targeting a launch in sometime in 2025. That's now about 2026. Just talk to us as to why. I mean, we can all imagine what a Herculean task this is to pivot from phones to cars, the injection of, of efficiency and indeed an R&D that must be needed. But just why the delay here? So the delay is mostly because they have a fundamental shift going on with the project, right? A lot of the interior, the underlying mechanics, the software, a lot of redesigning and re-architecting needs to go on now for that fundamental shift from a level five to a level four. In terms of what's taking Apple so long on this car, well, one thing is they still need a partner, right? They need a partner to develop the underlying what is called in the industry as a skateboard, right? That's the base of the car, that's the steering and wheel system, uh, that's the parts that connect to the steering wheel, underlying electronics, parts of the drivetrain, and of course the battery, right? Drivetrains are very important to this. Batteries, obviously, an EV, very important to this. So you need to do that. But then let's talk about the self-driving technology. Full level five autonomous driving, that's a dream. And I personally don't think, and clearly Apple agrees, that's something that's going to be realized anytime in the near term. I think it's going to be at least 20, 30 years, if not even in our lifetime, where you get full level five, where you can plug in where you're going and know you're going to get there safely with no issue. That's certainly a trend that we're seeing, you know, from legacy auto right through to startups. You've been a busy man. The other big story from Apple today is about the App Store. They've basically overhauled pricing. What's the news there? Yeah, so Apple's trying to make the App Store a bit more interesting to developers, right? They do these little incremental pushes to show developers why the 30% fee or the 15% fee in some cases is worthwhile. They want to show developers why the App Store will remain the best store uh, for developers. Now, today, the App Store is the only way to get apps, but there are potential reasons and there's some site to say that there may be alternatives in the future, whether that's sideloading, different rules created by governments, the upcoming regulations in Europe. So they have to keep improving the app store to make it more interesting to developers. In terms of the news today, really two things. One, they're expanding pricing. So before they went from 49 cents to $1,000. Now they're going from 29 cents to $10,000. Those tiers above 1,000, those have to get approval from Apple before you can price an app or subscription uh, at that price, right? They don't want someone creating a video player yeah. for 10 grand. Uh, the other thing is, is now you're gonna have easier ways to convert taxes and currency fluctuations will be easier to handle globally as well, given the app store is available in nearly 200 countries. Mark, scoop after scoop. We thank you for making the time to come and bring them on the television too. Mark Gurman, as always, our Apple man. Meanwhile, coming up, 
Well, Ed, the self-proclaimed crypto capital of Miami is now filled with pretty unwelcome reminders of the FTX empire, but some true believers, they still have faith in the digital currency doting. We're going to discuss that next. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Steeple and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Steeple's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Steeple last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. I think for us, crypto was... Uh, the slingshot in the David and Goliath story, right? If, if, if we are uh, competing with someone who is bigger and stronger, uh, we have to be smarter. Uh, so that was our hack on how we were going to become prominent in a increasingly technological world and ecosystem. Months ago, the Miami mayor, Francis Suarez, on the city's push into crypto. But what was supposed to be kind of the hotspot for digital assets is now the site of trash bags full of FTX freebies. It's an amazing story. It's doing brilliantly on Bloomberg today, on .com and on the terminal. We want to bring in, therefore, the Miami bureau chief of Bloomberg, Chief Philip Marquez. Philippe, talk to us about what is occurring during the glitz, the glamour of what was happening in Art Basel over in Miami. There were some trash bags, there were some freebies of FTX that were quietly being handed out. Just talk to us about what's been being built, which was meant to be a celebration of Solana and its ecosystem and instead sort of a bit of a pivot. Well, I'd still, I, what I tell you is that the Miami crypto community is trying to move on the Miami way. So it's trying to keep the party going as fast as it can after FTX and after the whole St. Bank Mafia team, trying to leave that behind. In the Solana spaces, I think, which is very symbolical of what happens, the Solana embassy was supposed to be a store and an education space for the blockchain Solana, and it had the first ever FTX lounge. So when the whole FTX debacle happened, they had to basically get 
get rid of a lot of FTX-related stuff. They had hundreds of t-shirts. They had a Magnus Carlsen signed poster for an FTX event. They had Miami Heat jerseys. And all of that was hurried to the storeroom in the back that I and another reporter, Amanda Gordon, were happy enough to stumble upon and report on, which we think was very symbolic of the way they're trying to leave everything about that behind. Solana Embassy, it's over in the Wynwood area, which is yeah. an awesome area of Miami. Just tell us a little bit about, we heard there from, of course, the Miami mayor previously, the focus, the, 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 the building of this community that was meant to be based upon crypto, and in many ways, the Miami Heat Stadium is clearly evidence of that. FTX ab abound with its money poured into the space, and now perhaps even they're desperately trying to take that back off the stadium. I'm interested in what, therefore, the mayor does now? Are they still all focused on crypto? Are they pivoting somewhat? Is traditional finance, TradFi coming back to play? So basically, I think the mayor's stories made a joke that I think it's, it helps explain a little bit of the mood when we asked him which name he'd like to see up in the stadium next. He jokingly said Citadel, which is the hatching hmm. powerhouse can we've been founded. So, I guess a lot of the hopes now hinge on the fact that traditional finance firms will be able to take up a little bit of the slack that crypto brought in and still keep the whole Wall Street South move to Miami momentum going on. There are some opportunities, I guess, is one way to look at it. You think about NBA, Miami Heat, you think about the kind of, I guess, sorrow among some of the parties that for them it's over. What is the community doing to kind of make the, the city, the broader area, long-term a mainstay for the crypto community and, and I guess the venture capitalists that back it? Well, I'd say part of the answer is partying. So <laughs> it's, I think, a very Miami answer. But uh, I think they're trying to show that there's more to the crypto community than just FTX and Sam Beckman Fried, that they're artists with the NFT crowd, that they actually go way above and beyond what FTX represented. So I think the, the, the last week on Art Basel, what we saw were like several rallying cries in a way of come to Miami, the community's here, let's build it. I think they're trying to separate what they call a bad actor from the technology and kind of like keep the technology going. Obviously, there's a lot of difficulty in doing that because funding is now much scarcer. But I think that's what they are trying to do in the city, trying to make sure that Miami is still a hub, that the talent's here, that the community's here, and that it's way larger than Sam Beckman-Fried and FTX. Thanks to Bloomberg's Miami bureau chief, Felipe Marquez. There, I mean, Caro, for me, the crypto community is something that we we go to social media to talk about, right? It reminds me a lot about the meme stock movement that kind of went before it. These are not your institutional legacy Wall Street names. They're everyday people who are kind of flooding en masse somewhere else to, as he said, party. Well, they can party still. The Bitcoin 2023 conference, apparently, Ed, it's inviting to celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami. And apparently you can get a whale pass for $6,999. Now, partying aside, there are still people who want to build in the space. All right, well, I'll put it on the calendar.
Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Caroline Hyde in New York, alongside Ed Ludlow, who's out in San Francisco. And well, let's talk about Robinhood for a moment, because it is hoping to keep users through retirement. The app, popular with young traders, is offering its 22 million users an IRA option with a 1% match. Now, Robinhood says this is the first of its kind for a brokerage. Well, pleased to welcome Steve Kirk. He is Robinhood's chief brokerage officer, plenty of experience across the space. And while, before we get on to the fact that the markets have been falling, it's been a more tumultuous time for users on Robinhood, why now introduce this sort of a product? How are, you men, how are we shifting our perspective on trading on a day-to-day -day manner to trying to save for the long haul here? Yes, and first of all, it's so nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, it's really, if you, if you think about it, it's the next evolution of the journey for the 23 million young, diverse customers that Robinhood has brought into the marketplace. And um, they're at a point now where they want us to grow with them. And growing with them means um, putting forth something in the offering that helps them and incents them to save on their retirement journey. And that's the launch of Robinhood Retirement, which has, as you said, the first, of its, first and only match for a retirement. Your entire career, you've been really focused on making investing basically accessible, whether it's over at TD and now with Robin Hood. Are you worried at this moment where we see falls in the market led by technology stocks, for example, that we are so focused on, that that puts off the people who entered the market during 2020 and as they stayed at home during COVID, they're going to be put off from building wealth, from looking in a longer term perspective here? No, I actually, Carolyn, I would actually say the opposite. Um, if you think about it, um, really, a lot. The customers here are of an average age of about 32 years old. 50% of them have never had a brokerage account before. So the importance of starting very early to save for retirement, um, college, kids, um, a home, all the things that are critical um, needs to start early. And by incenting them and providing a match, um, it's it it helps them in that journey because that I think they all understand the compounding that happens over time when you begin that journey early. Uh, I'd say the one other element that makes it a, a really good time to start is here we sit um, with the markets sort of, as you said, moving up and down. Yeah. Um, time has been in historic, uh, historic returns have told us, you know, if you invest for the long term and over the course of the last 50 years, um, you will be rewarded if you just stay the course. And we're incenting people to do that. Steve, I know you only announced this very early on Tuesday morning, but what was the response been? I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about what Caroline asked you. Is the user base of Robin Hood sort of flooding in and saying, you know, I'm in my mid-20s to 30s, I'm going to make prudent financial decisions? Do you see what I'm saying? Is yes. the user base going to be using this in, in large volumes to start with? Well, as, as you pointed out, we rolled it out this morning. Um, we have a wait list, and there are 300, over 320,000 people on that wait list already. Um, we're rolling people off of the wait list, and they're starting to open those accounts. We've rolled 7,000 people off that wait list. I, th I think the reason why they're finding it such an appealing offering in the retirement space is because of the changing nature of the workforce. And what I mean by that is 40% of the workers in America are in the gig economy, and that's growing at a 17% clip, according to Pew. 
And of those, they're looking for solutions. 77% said, we need a solution that is tailored to our retirement needs, not to ones of some people that have full-time employment or maybe are working part-time. And uh, this accomplishes that for them because it's an ongoing match. It's not a one-time right. match. It matches over the course of their investing journey. Steve, Karen and I, as you know, we want to get onto the markets, but we're still trying to make sense of the fallout from FTX and, and Sam Bankman-Fried. Our understanding is that SBF held a stake in Robinhood, in Hood, the ticker, through an entity which has not yet uh, fallen into bankruptcy. Are you able to tell us whether any of the bankruptcy team or lawyers have been in touch with Robinhood about that? We have not had them in touch with us. Again, they think of it as another shareholder. You know, we have a lot of shareholders, and um, they make investments in us. Um, we don't really, we're not actively involved in that. They're free to do that as they will, and we haven't really had many interactions with um, with any of the bankruptcy uh, attorneys. You're like the point person for broker-dealers. You're also, I'm sure, fully aware of what the retail investor is currently feeling about using Robinhood. How, mm -hmm. are you, how are those conversations going? How secure do people feel, particularly in the crypto offerings that you have? Yeah, actually, uh, so we are regulated. We have been a regulated entity. Um, we have 19 crypto coin assets. We do not have hundreds of crypto coin assets. We've done this in a real, really safety first manner and made sure that we've been as compliant as can be. So we're a net recipient of, um, of volumes and deposits as a result of that. But I would also say um, what the fallout is a blemish for the industry as a whole. So we do not view it as a positive thing, um, but we are definitely not intertwined and have no connectivity to um, either FTX or the counterparties there. Has it changed the way in which you're unfolding products? Like the fact that you're now focusing on people coming to your platform to save with a measured focus. Are you thinking about moving away from crypto related offerings or is still the lineup, the product rollout exactly how it would have always looked? Well, I would say um, it's not a, the focus didn't change in a rapid manner. We've been working on the retirement offering for over a year. This has been a focus um, and something we've been working on for quite some time. Um, with respect to what we roll out, it's really driven by our customers and what they're interested in. There are still people who are big believers in the crypto space, albeit in, in a different manner. And so we're going to provide them with what they want. Um, going forward um, but as I said we've been we've been we have not been a firm that has been um, you know we've been doing it as, as regulatorily compliant as we can Steve thank you for spending some time talking us through it Steve Quirk he's of course Robin Hood chief brokerage officer stay well meanwhile well we're going to move on to some key news surrounding a few stories of meta today some have been swirling talk us through it Ed 
Yeah, so on Monday, Meta said it might remove news posts from Facebook and Instagram. That's if Congress passes a new bill that would empower smaller news outlets to negotiate compensation from tech companies. The bill in question is the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act, and its backers want it done before the end of this year. Meta argues that the bill disregards the value that its social media platforms provide to amplify the reach of news pieces you see in those timelines. Meanwhile, of course, Meta shares also falling 6.8% Tuesday, the most since late October. That after a report by the Wall Street Journal that privacy regulators at the European Union are ruling the Facebook parents should not require users to agree to personalized ads based on their online activity. We're talking about targeted ads, of course. Meta can appeal the decision, but if it's upheld, it can make it a lot more difficult for ad-based platforms like Meta to show users targeted ads, which is based on, essentially, Caroline, what they're clicking on, the types of content that they're currently viewing. A lot currently being involved with Meta, and a lot, we've got to go back to it, Ed, revolving crypto. We've just been talking about it with, of course, Steve Quirk over at Robin Hood. Let's tell into it with Kraken CEO next. Dave Ripley talking of crypto regulation, of layoffs, of proof of reserves. How is this space changing? Stick with us for it. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Now let's talk about 
about the UK for a moment, because it's reportedly finalising new rules to regulate the cryptocurrency sector. Now, according to the Financial Times, that includes guidelines on dealing with the collapse of companies, for example, and restrictions on product advertising. Now, right here in the US, the FTC is also following suit, also investigating crypto firms over possible misconduct through advertisements, for example. Now, remember, back in March, the UK regulators sent warnings to more than 50 companies over misleading crypto advertisements, and that's after Kraken and Coinbase ads were deemed misleading by the advertising authority months before. We want to talk about the future of regulation, the future of restructuring in the space, so much more. Pleased to welcome to the show Kraken CEO, Dave Ripley. Dave, it is wonderful to have you here, and there is so much to talk about in the space. Just first and foremost, talk about the new regulation that's being unfolded in the UK, particularly when it comes to adverts, and you've, of course, had some concerns there. You've been singled out in the UK alongside Coinbase and some other companies to do with perhaps misleading ads. How have ways changed at the moment? Yeah. So with regard to, you know, advertisement in the space, honestly, I, in a way I, we describe Kraken's approach to all things crypto is, is about responsible yet ambitious about the space. And, you know, we're actually regulated in uh, the UK. We have uh, an MTF license there and we work closely with the FCA uh, and, and we have for quite some time. And so, uh, you know, we think, uh, you know, there, there's a role for regulation, no doubt, in crypto, just the, the same as other other financial services. And we, we work closely with regulators on, on all fronts, both in the UK and the US. And in a way, you've sort of been trying to self-regulate, shall I call it, the talk of proof of reserves, the audit you've been doing on yourselves. You've also been taking to Twitter and indeed, so has Jesse, been talking about at length the business models, the managing of margin risk, for example, particularly a key concern following FTX's fallout. How are you looking to change your, well, transparency at least, even if it's not the way in which you're doing businesses right now? Yeah, this is this is exactly it. As I mentioned, I mean, we're we look to be a you know ambitious yet responsible player in the in the space. And you know, the FTX, this is truly a travesty for for customers and, and everyone that that was exposed to to FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried. I mean, he's uh, nothing but a fraudster. And uh, you know, we frankly have no place for these types of you know people in the cryptocurrency space. The approach that Kraken takes, absolutely, we uh, we look to be both you know transparent with our, our customers, but also really invest yeah. deeply in security uh, as well. And proof of reserves is a great example. We've done conducted this proof of reserves uh, dating back some time, and we conducted two this year already. It's a way for us to work with a third-party auditor to validate both the customer liabilities and the reserves, the assets that we hold on behalf of customers to back those liabilities, and also allows the customers a way to go and ensure that their own balances were included in the audit uh, by going directly to the auditor. So uh, we're really market leaders on this uh, on this approach. And, you know, frankly, we've seen a lot of other peers, uh, you know, start to um, start to follow Kraken, follow in our footsteps, uh, particularly uh, following all the failures that we've, we've seen recently with with companies that don't take the same approach as, as Kraken. Dave, I believe you referenced uh, the word fraudster there with regards to SBF. I just want to point out that while a number of regulatory bodies or agencies are looking into FTX and SBF, he has not yet been charged uh, with any sort of fraud. So we just want to state that. You've been impacted by the volatility and fallout associated uh, with 
FTX, though, you know, you announce layoffs, I believe, at, at the end of November. What has the impact to your business been? Uh, yes, look, the, the crypto industry has definitely slowed down. We've seen, uh, you know, we saw fantastic growth uh, in uh, the later part of last year and throughout the earlier part of this year. But it's true that uh, the market has definitely slowed down. So we um, we have taken steps to, again, you know, we're take the make the responsible choices for the industry and bring our our expenses in line with uh, with revenues and ensure that you know we're there for the long term you know the company's been around for a decade over a decade actually and we intend to be around for many decades to come as well Dave I'll just point out again that was your opinions on on SBF and no charges have been brought against him uh, to do with fraud another big voice in your world all I guess tangentially linked to your world is, is Jamie Dimon. He is called crypto tokens a pet rock. What's your response to that? Yeah, I think it's just an example of someone that uh, doesn't uh, have a good grounding and understanding of technology uh, and probably not a very good understanding in innovation either. Um, uh, it, it could also be, you know, uh, you know, in, incentives to, um, you know, say neg negative things about cryptocurrency as well. It could be a combination of, of a lot of these different things. But, you know, inevitably, when I, I find someone that's, uh, you know, that negative on, on cryptocurrency, it's, it's either due to, you know, lack of understanding and information or, you know, frankly, an incentive uh, that, that puts them at odds with, with cryptocurrency. So um, we, of course, don't agree with that. Uh, you know, he's clearly, clearly wrong on all fronts uh, with regard to the potential for the, the technology and, and what it actually means. I mean, to be fair, he said decentralized finance and blockchain are real and so are new technologies. So he likes the underlying technology. He's just often sort of been a, a cynic, shall we say, of the assets in the tradable way. I'm, I'm interested, Dave, yeah. though, people who, yes, are deep cynics of the space like Larry Fink, but actually players who have embraced it wholeheartedly, Mike Novogratz, for example, saying that many players are going to be wiped out by this. Do you agree with that? What sort of number of players are left standing here? Yeah, it's a good point. And frankly, I don't know the specific numbers, but, you know, it's clear there's going to be more contagion uh, from from FTX. It's not entirely clear, you know, how many or, or who who is going to be impacted? We, of course, know that uh, you know Genesis froze withdrawals recently. Uh, BlockFi cited uh, impact directly from FTX and is you know moving forward with you know they've already shut down withdrawals and so you know the potential for more more companies to be impacted by this contagion, this kind of circular leverage out there, uh, significant. I mean, fortunately, Kraken is is not one of them. Uh, yeah. We're we're not impacted by this contagion and don't carry counterparty risk. Uh, to you know, to any of these other crypto companies, Dave. There's a lot of blame being thrown around. There's the joy of hindsight, of course, and people feeling that yeah, largely it's perhaps one bad player here. Maybe the media is in some way to blame, and we look in internally at ourselves. You look at well, the blame of VCs, the money that was just swirling, the lack of corporate governance. What, from your perspective, is actually changing in that respect? What do you think the money, the deep pockets are asking themselves right now? And what about the corporate governance of companies such as yourself that now is being asked of? Yeah, so a number of different things. I mean, hopefully this is, in fact, something that 
uh, you know, for investors, for customers, for individuals that uh, the silver lining here is that they are going to ask for for questions. You know, what we talk about is, hey, let, let's talk about proof, not promises. And that's why we we have our, our proof of reserves. And that's why we, we we make the information transparent to our to our customers in a, in a detailed way. And so we hope that, you know, everyone in the cryptocurrency space, frankly, financial services generally, uh, you know, ask these types of questions. Um, you know, another silver lining of this, uh, you know, these events here is self-custody, right? And so Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are the first time ever that there's been a way where you can actually uh, hold, securely hold and, and store your own uh, assets in, in digital assets. And that's one of the fantastic things about, about cryptocurrency. And self-custody is on the rise following, uh, following these events. We see, you know, the blockchain itself is transparent. You can see that many um, many individuals, companies are moving their assets to their own self custody, which is a, a fantastic thing. Something that we've always uh, been been a supporter for. So I think there there is some silver lining here. Hopefully, um, you know the, the the good players such as Kraken, um, you know individuals will start to ask the questions that they should be asking of their their third parties and, and potentially even look to yeah. self custody on their own as well. All right, Kraken's incoming CEO, I guess Dave Ripley. Thank you very much. Time for going viral now. And there's concerns around trackers like AirTags. Apple has been sued by two women who say that AirTags make it easy for stalkers to monitor victims. AirTags are meant for tracking personal possessions, of course, backpacks, keys, bikes. But privacy advocates have warned, and police reports have verified, AirTags can also be used to track people without consent. Now, according to the lawsuit, an ex-boyfriend of one of the women planted an air tag in the wheel well of her car and was able to find out where she'd moved to avoid his harassment. The other woman said her estranged husband tracked her movements by placing the air tag in a child's backpack. Apple advertised the air tags as stalker proof when it was released in 2021, shortening the time for notifications and alerting people of an unregistered air tag if it's moving with you. See more on social media for that, Ed. This is Bloomberg. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, let's face it, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. There's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.